Okay, while they're coming in, here's what I want you guys to do. I want you to turn to a partner next to you, and I want you to briefly answer three questions. Question number one, what did you do for spring break? Wait a second, I gotta give you all three questions first. Question number two, if you could have any superpower in the world, what would it be? And question number three, how would you have used that superpower on your spring break if you had it? All right, what'd you do for spring break, superpower, and how might you have used that superpower on spring break? You only have like one minute, so go. Okay, time's up, bring it back, bring it back. Uh, Can I have like a couple volunteers willing to share their answer? Right here, right here. Okay, uh, they, the Mascalero trip desired teleportation because there was a lot of vomiting that was taking place on their commute home, and it was a very long commute. So that, I think everybody in the room would say, go ahead and amen to that. Right here. Okay, I went to Portland, Oregon, and I would like the ability to talk to plants and animals. <laughs> Portland, Oregon, and would like the ability to talk to plants and animals. These are good. I have to do one more. Somebody from this side over here. Anybody else? Anybody? All right here, right here. Go ahead. Dallas and do some mind reading right there. Okay, very good. Uh, you can keep dreaming about these things, you know, later, but until then, we're going to keep moving. So we have been studying the book of Acts together this semester. Now, we took the last two Sundays off because of spring break, and many of you were on different spring break trips with campus ministry. Others were doing other fun and exciting things, hanging out with grandma or working or whatever. Um, But we've been studying the book of Acts together this semester, and just before we left for spring break a couple weeks ago, we kind of ended where there was great persecution that was taking place for the Christian people in the early church. And so the Christians were scattering all over the place. And there's a guy named Philip who, last time we were here, we talked about how he went to Samaria and proclaimed the gospel, and he did that right after his good friend and teammate, Stephen, was just killed for his faith. So this is kind of where we ended uh, last time, and then we come to the story that we're going to talk about tonight. So it's in Acts chapter 8. If you have a Bible, I encourage you to turn to Acts chapter 8. If you have a digital device, those are awesome, and I think you should use that if you don't have one of these, anyway. Acts chapter 8. Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, Acts. Acts 8, starting at verse 26. Now, an angel of the the Lord said to Philip, go south to the road, the desert road, that goes down from Jerusalem to Gaza. So he started out, and on his way he met an Ethiopian eunuch, an important official in charge of all the treasury of Candace, queen of the Ethiopians. This man had gone to Jerusalem to worship, and on his way home was sitting in his chariot reading the book of Isaiah the prophet. The Spirit of the Lord, the Spirit, told Philip, go to that chariot and stay near it. Then Philip ran up to the chariot and heard the man reading Isaiah the prophet. Do you understand what you are reading? Philip asked. How can I, he said, unless someone explains it to me? So he invited Philip to come up and sit with him. The eunuch was reading this passage of Scripture. 
He was led like a sheep to the slaughter, and as a lamb before the shearer is silent, so he did not open his mouth. In his humiliation, he was deprived of justice. Who can speak of his descendants? For his life was taken from the earth. The eunuch asked Philip, Tell me, please, who is the prophet talking about, himself or someone else? Then Philip began with that very passage of Scripture and told him the good news about Jesus. As they traveled along the road, they came to some water, and the eunuch said, Look, here is water. Why shouldn't I be baptized? And he gave orders to stop the chariot. Then both Philip and the eunuch went down into the water, and Philip baptized him. When they came up out of the water, the Spirit of the Lord suddenly took Philip away, and the eunuch did not see him again, but went on his way rejoicing. Philip, however, appeared at Azotus and traveled about, preaching the gospel in all the towns until he reached Caesarea. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Okay, so uh, for those of you that know a little bit about me, there's a few cities that are mentioned in here, and so I think some geography lesson would be helpful. So I've got a couple of maps to start us out. Um, So Philip, okay, he was proclaiming the gospel the good news of Jesus in Samaria. So he was in Jerusalem. He goes up to Shechem, which is in the region of Samaria, and then to Samaria. And then the Spirit of the Lord says, hey, go back down to Jerusalem and head off to uh, a city, uh, Gaza. Gaza was a well-known city in the Old Testament, kind of in the land of the Philistines. Gaza was one of the main Philistine cities. And so Philip does that route. He goes up to Shechem, to Samaria. God says, okay, go back down to Jerusalem and go on the road toward Gaza. And then he meets this guy from Ethiopia, okay? Ethiopia actually referred to the land south of Egypt. You can go to the next map. Uh, Okay, actually go to the next map. We'll come back to that in a second. Okay, so Ethiopia, Sudan, Egypt, and then to Jerusalem. Okay, so Sudan and Ethiopia, Sudan was not a modern country at the time, so Ethiopia was basically anything south of, of Egypt. Um, we'll talk more about their encounter in just a moment, but immediately after their encounter, what happens? Philip gets taken away. Okay, so all of a sudden Philip disappears. Go to the previous map. Apparently I put those in the wrong order. All of a sudden, Philip is on this road from Jerusalem to Gaza, has this encounter with this Ethiopian eunuch, and then also the text says, all of a sudden, Philip just disappeared from that place and went to Azotus, and then he's preaching the gospel in the towns along the way until he reaches Caesarea, which is on the coast up there. Uh, in case you are wondering, Caesarea is one of the most amazing ancient cities, in my opinion. We'll be there May 18, and you're welcome to join us if you would like, okay? Consider it an open invitation. The text says the Spirit of the Lord carried Philip away, and then Philip found himself at Azotus. He just found himself at Azotus? This, my friends, I think is biblical evidence of teleportation. (laughs) I mean, I don't know how else to read this. This is my favorite superpower, teleportation. With God, all things are po- with God, all things are possible, apparently, including teleporting. So I don't know how else to explain what just happened here, honestly. So it's a very strange thing that happened. They're hanging out. All of a sudden, Philip's gone, and he's hanging out in the Zotus. There's no conversation about him walking away. 
Anyway, let's talk about the Ethiopian a second. What do we know about this Ethiopian? What does the, what does the scripture say about this Ethiopian? He's what? He's a eunuch, and what else? He's an, he's an important official in charge of the treasury for some queen. Candace is her name, apparently. So he's a finance guy for the government. So being a finance guy for the government, he's, he kind of has uh, high standing socially, you would think, or at least uh, financially, which is consistent with the fact that this guy is actually traveling in style. Okay? If you notice, he's riding in a chariot, and if you owned a chariot back then, it would be like having a BMW or a Mercedes. But you also keep reading a little bit more closely. You know that he's reading. And you know that there's no way that he would be you know, foolish enough to be reading a text while he was driving his chariot, right? So he must have had some other driver because he would not be reading this text while he was driving his chariot. So maybe it's more of like he's riding in a limo kind of thing when he is reading this passage from Isaiah. The other thing we know about this Ethiopian is he goes from Ethiopia to Jerusalem to worship. So how does this guy know the God of Israel? Why does he want to go to Jerusalem to worship? Why is he spending all this time and energy going? How did he learn the story? We don't know any of these things, but we do know that he left from Ethiopia and he went to Jerusalem to worship and he encounters Philip on the way back. If he covered 25 miles a day to go from where he was, I mean roughly, because we don't know exactly what city he was in in Ethiopia, 25 miles a day to Jerusalem and back would take somewhere between three and four months. So there's something about this guy that's really committed to wanting to go and learn and worship in Jerusalem. I don't know, maybe it was one of the three pilgrimage festivals of Passover, uh, Tabernacles, um, or the Feast of Weeks, Pentecost. I'm not sure which, which one of the festivals he might have been going to. But at the very least, we know that he had a passion and a desire to go and worship in Jerusalem. And then there's this encounter that he has on the way back. But as a Gentile, the other thing that's interesting about him worshiping in Jerusalem, he would be considered a Gentile. And Gentiles weren't even allowed to have full access to the worship services that the Jewish people had in Jerusalem. There was literally sectioned off on the Temple Mount, there's a wall or a fence with a warning sign that said, hey, any Gentile that goes past this point is liable to his own death. So there was a certain, you know, areas for the Gentiles. They couldn't quite get in. It's kind of like our friends in the lobby back there. They couldn't quite get in here. I'm kidding. We love you guys. I invited you to come in, so don't blame me. Okay, the other thing about the Ethiopian, it says that he's a eunuch, okay? Just to be clear, uh, this means that he has been castrated, okay? So maybe this is helpful. Okay. <laughs> Sad day. <laughs> this, this was common, actually. Maybe that's really distracting. Maybe you should take it off, but anyway. Uh, this was common for a male who held a, a high position uh, in government, working for a queen. This was a common thing. There was a stigma that kind of went along with being a eunuch. Um, but in addition to the stigma, uh, it was actually a law in Judaism that excluded eunuchs from worshiping. 
So this guy just went all the way to Jerusalem to worship, but yet in Deuteronomy it says that he's not even allowed to do that. Okay, I'm just going to read these verses from Deuteronomy chapter 23. No one whose testicles are crushed or whose male organ is cut off shall enter the assembly of the Lord. Eunuchs were considered physically blemished and in a permanent state of ritual impurity. But he went all the way to Jerusalem to go worship as a Gentile and as a eunuch. What happened there? What did he really do there? To spend three or four months to want to go there, to want to go worship in that, in, under those circumstances. I want to know more. I don't know about you, but when I, when I study these things, I'm like, I want to know more details. Who did he encounter when he was in Jerusalem? What was it like when he worshiped there? What was he allowed to do? Did he do anything or did he just stand by and watch? Or was he actually participating in something? What book was the eunuch reading? Isaiah. Okay, I find this interesting because the book of Isaiah actually described hope for eunuchs. Go to the next slide, will you please? Isaiah chapter 56 says this. This is just a few chapters later. Let not the foreigner who has joined himself to the Lord say, the Lord will surely separate me from his people. And let not the eunuch say, behold, I am a dry tree. For thus says the Lord to the eunuchs who keep my Sabbaths, who choose the things that please me and hold fast my covenant, I will give in my house and within my walls a monument and a name better than sons and daughters. I will give them an everlasting name that shall not be cut off. And the foreigners who join themselves to the Lord to minister to him, to love the name of the Lord and to be his servants, these I will bring to my holy mountain in Jerusalem and make them joyful in my house of prayer. Their burnt offerings and their sacrifices will be accepted on my altar. For my house shall be called a house of prayer for all peoples. The Lord God who gathers the outcasts of Israel declares, I will gather yet others to him besides those already gathered. These are words from the book of Isaiah just a few chapters later from what he was reading. I went on one of the spring break mission trips with campus ministry. I was in Waimauma, Florida. Uh, Somebody else had a good time other than myself, so that's exciting. Uh, And one of the things that we did is we took time every night to share a little bit of ourselves, share a little bit of our stories. And after whoever was done sharing their story, we would, you know, open it up for three questions or something like that for the person that just got done sharing their story. For whatever reason... Maybe it's my fault, I can't remember, but without fail, everybody was asked the question, and what's your favorite Bible verse? Okay, so every single person at Waimama had to like answer this question, what, pick one, it doesn't have to be this is the one, but pick a, a scripture that has had impact on you. I'm not sure how well the Ethiopian knew the Bible. I'm not sure how how well he knew the book of Isaiah, but I would bet that he would have known that passage in Isaiah 56. And if he was asked that question in our, you know, community in Waimama, I'm guessing he probably would have said Isaiah 56 for sure. Why? Because there was hope for him considering his circumstances, right? Right? 
So in our story, we find this Ethiopian reading a different passage in Isaiah. Maybe Isaiah was his favorite book. But he still had some questions. So let's look at this. Verse 30. Philip ran up to the chariot and heard the man reading Isaiah the prophet. Do you understand what you are reading, Philip said? How can I, he said, unless someone explains it to me. So he invited Philip to come up and sit with him. The eunuch was reading this passage of scripture. He was led like a sheep to the slaughter and as a lamb before the shearer is silent, so he did not open his mouth. In his humiliation, he was deprived of justice. Who can speak of his descendants? For his life was taken from the earth. The eunuch asked Philip, tell me please, who is the prophet talking about, himself or someone else? Who is the prophet talking about? I know something about this prophet Isaiah, and I know I love this other passage from this book, but this, these verses are, are new to me, and, I, and I'm finding some, some hope or something in these verses. So who is he talking about? Is Isaiah talking about himself, or is he talking about someone else? I love the eunuch's curiosity, his desire to learn, to grow. He clearly has something in him like that, where he's like, I got to keep learning. I got to keep growing. I want to I grow in my faith. I'm going to go all the way to Jerusalem to try to worship, even though I know that there's barriers and I can't quite do all of it, but I'm going to go anyway. And so then he's, I'm reading the text while I'm, while I'm riding, not driving. Who is he talking about? Himself or someone else? He was oppressed and he was afflicted, but he did not open his mouth like a lamb that is led to the slaughter. And Philip told this Ethiopian eunuch about the good news of Jesus. Over and over and over again, for over a thousand years prior to this moment in our story, from the desert in Sinai to the temple in Jerusalem, there was a practice for God's people, of animal sacrifice. They would be sacrificing bulls or goats or sheep as a way to atone for their sin. This was just part of their culture. This was just part of their practice. They would go to the temple in Jerusalem. They would sacrifice an animal as a way to atone for their sin. Then 600 years later, 600 years after these words were written in Isaiah, there's this guy named Jesus who comes along and fulfills these prophecies from Isaiah. And so Philip has this opportunity to tell this Ethiopian the good news about Jesus because this prophecy has then been fulfilled. Sacrifices in the Old Testament ultimately just point to this ultimate sacrifice of Jesus when he died on the cross. And at Passover, the people were actually um, summoned to select a lamb. And the lamb was supposed to be a male. It was supposed to be unblemished. And they were actually supposed to have this, this lamb or this sheep live with them for four days. 
so they could get to know it a little bit. So there's a little bit of a relationship. So they would actually have some sort of attachment to this lamb. Uh, last year on our Israel trip, we were hanging out in Bethlehem, and we came across this shepherd. Uh, go ahead and next slide here. And there was this tiny lamb that everybody was, like, taking pictures of, and the shepherd just handed me this tiny lamb. And as soon as I had it in my hands, I felt like I was a celebrity because everybody was taking my picture. It was very strange. But even just, like, I had this thing for, like, one minute. Now think about just holding this thing for one minute, and the next thing you have to do is cut its throat as a way to atone for your sin. Now, they had to do this for four days. Care for this precious little lamb. I don't know about you, but I feel like if this was part of our culture, if I had to do this, I would find a way to sin less often. Right? Who is this? Who is he talking about? Himself? Or someone else. Friends, this is the good news. We don't have to do these animal sacrifices anymore. Because Jesus is the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. We don't have to get to know this kind of a Lamb anymore. We have to get to know this Lamb But he has already paid the price. So we don't have to live with this this sin. We don't have to live with this guilt. We don't have to... Because he has taken away the sin of the world. What were the requirements of a lamb? Had to be what? A male and unblemished. Do you think Jesus fit those qualifications? Unblemished? Maybe more than anything else in the whole world. He was led like a lamb the slaughter, yet he did not open his mouth. He went openly and willingly. Jesus himself says, okay, take me. Do what you need to me. Because I'm going to take away the sin of the whole world. There is a, a small remnant of Samaritans who actually still live in Samaria, and they actually still practice animal sacrifice on Passover. So I want to show you just a a one and a half minute clip of what this festival looks like. This is what they do annually on Passover, uh, and hopefully the, the video will work for us here in a minute. So, Animal sacrifice was done to cover sin. But it didn't really cure the disease because if it cured the disease they won't have to keep doing it again and again and again and that my friends is why when Jesus hung on the cross he said it is finished because we don't have to do this animal sacrifice anymore because it is finished Because Jesus is the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. It seems like the eunuch might have found a new favorite verse when I read this story. 
Because in these verses are not just some hope for people like a eunuch, but in these verses that Philip explained to him, there is hope for all people all over the world. And then what does he do? He's like, hey, look, here's some water. Let's get baptized. Philip, I'm all in. Tell me more about this Jesus guy. And then he posted his video on social media and it said, hashtag Lakers all in. I'm in. Right? I'm in. This Ethiopian found hope, the ultimate hope. And he went on rejoicing. I love that. This Friday is Good Friday. This Friday is Good Friday. It's a day to remember, a day to reflect what Jesus did on the cross when he said, it is finished. Now, one of the things that happens often with Good Friday is it kind of turns into somber Friday. And I get that because it's very reflective and we're pensive and we're trying to think about our stuff. But did you see those Samaritans? Did you see what they were doing after they cut the throats of those lambs? What were they doing? Somebody tell me. Celebrating. Why were they celebrating? Because they believed that their sin has been forgiven because of what just happened with this precious little lamb. So this week, we get to celebrate Good Friday. Tonight, we get to celebrate Good Friday. All year, we get to celebrate Good Friday. And I say, how much more could we or should we be dancing and celebrating and rejoicing like this Ethiopian guy did or like these Samaritans did? Our sin was pierced on the cross. And now, as far as the east is from the west, that's how far he has removed our transgressions, our sins from us. This is hope. This is the good news for all people. And this is why the eunuch went on rejoicing. And so I wonder what campus could look like this week. I wonder if we will have, I wonder if God will be gracious enough to us to give us divine appointments like Philip had with this Ethiopian guy. I mean, if there's ever a divine appointment, I think this might be one. All right, he's in Samaria. Okay, go down to Jerusalem, then go to Gaza, and then you're going to meet this guy and tell him about me. Okay, and then he's like in Azotus, right? If there's ever a divine appointment that was supposed to happen, this might be it. But maybe God has these other opportunities for us this week as well. And what if we were, like Philip, anxious and excited and eager to tell somebody like the Ethiopian, hey, there's even better news than Isaiah 56. There's even better news. It's in Isaiah 53. You might have already read it, but you don't understand it. Let me tell you about this guy named Jesus. He said, it is finished. And there was great rejoicing. This is why we get to worship. Please pray with me. Jesus, we give you thanks 
even if we don't even have words to express the depth of our gratitude. For I know that there is no hope for me without what you have already done. And I know that there's no hope for the people in this room without what you have already done. And we are so thankful that you willingly went to the slaughter. You willingly spread your arms on the cross. And you said, it is finished. And so God, I pray that the way that we live our lives is in response to, not because we're trying to earn something, not because we're trying to sin less often, but in response to the great love that you have for us. May we go on rejoicing and celebrating and worshiping and boldly proclaiming the good news about Jesus. We pray all these things in your name. Amen.